Tale three of the story of King Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mendel Hastings. The story of King Arthur in twelve tales by Winona Carolyn Martin. Tale three How Arthur won his sword Excalibur, his bride, and his round table. But Arthur, looking downward as he passed, felt the light of her eyes into his life, smite on the sudden. Tennyson's Coming of Arthur The commoners had indeed shouted joyfully, Long live the king! And many of the nobles also had been glad to see the end of the long struggle for the crown. But there were others, strong and mighty warriors, who were not yet willing to submit to the rule of a beardless boy. The first year of Arthur's reign, therefore, was a turbulent one, for between the rebellion of his own subjects on the one hand and the raids of the Saxons on the other, he scarcely knew what it was to lay aside his armor for so much as a single day. Gradually, however, the young king's bravery and nobility of character began to call forth the respect of those who were watching his career, so that one by one the knights of his realm conquered either by force of arms or better still by admiration came to pay him homage and very soon even those robber barons found themselves being transformed under the chivalric influences that prevailed at that court soon after his coronation arthur appointed his officers at the request of the good sir ector whom the young king would always regard as a father he appointed his foster brother sir kay seneschal of all britain then he remembered old friends of his real father uther pendragon and made sir baldwin constable sir ulfius chamberlain and sir brastius warden of the country north of the river trent this done he fought twelve great battles to bring into subjection the tributary kings who still held out against him then he felt that his realm was in about as good order as he could well expect it to be in those wild and lawless times in all these battles the sword that he had drawn from the anvil served him well but strange to say one day when he was jousting with a single knight the latter's stronger weapon cut arthur's sword in two leaving the young king defenceless so that he was severely wounded and would probably have been killed had it not been for merlin who bore him away to a hermitage where he lay ill for three days during that time however it was not so much by his suffering that he was troubled as by the discovery of the loss of his sword but when he made his anxiety known to merlin the wise man merely smiled one of those mysterious smiles of his and said that sir king is perhaps the best thing that ever happened to you as soon as you are strong enough to wield it you shall have a far better weapon i promise you by the third day therefore no entreaties could prevail upon him to remain under the care of the kindly hermit any longer i must be up and away to find that sword said he so merlin answered very well follow me then off they rode up hill and down dale through a strange and wonderful country until at last they came to the shores of a broad and beautiful lake over which a fairy veil of light morning mist was still hanging they drew rein in silence 
and watched the sun gradually rise from behind the distant hilltops. Presently, under the gentle warmth, the mist began to lift, so that very soon the waters lay before them, clear as crystal and shimmering in the glorious morning light. Then a strange thing happened. Up from the bosom of the lake rose an arm, clothed in white samite, in whose hand was clasped a sword and scabbard, and the hilt of that sword was ten times more beautiful and twinkling with far richer jewels than the weapon whose loss Arthur was mourning. How I wish it were mine, he whispered to Merlin tremulously. Hush, was the only reply. Look toward the other side of the lake. Arthur obeyed, and saw gliding toward them what at first appeared to be a column of white mist, not yet dispelled by the sun's rays, but which gradually resolved itself into the form of a beautiful maiden, whose feet skimmed the waves as lightly as if they had been the floating petals of a pond lily. That, Merlin whispered, is the Lady of the Lake. When she comes near, ask her for the sword for it is hers and belongs to her wonderful palace under the water. Arthur then leapt from his horse, and stepping to the very brink of the waves, bowed low, saying, Fair damsel, you see before you a knight who has been so unfortunate as to lose his sword. If you will give me yours, I will promise you to do all in my power to make this land so safe that no maiden will ever after need to own a weapon, for there will be enough brave and chivalrous knights to fight the battles of all the weak and oppressed. You may have the sword, King Arthur, replied the lady, to do with as you have promised. Take the barge that you will find hidden in yonder rushes, and row out to claim it. It is yours to use for many years to come. Having said this, the form of the maiden grew more and more mist-like and ethereal, until finally Arthur's wandering eyes could no longer distinguish the faintest trace of her. Then he and Merlin rode out to the middle of the lake, and Arthur, almost fearing to see it vanish too, firmly grasped the sword, whereupon the arm clothed in white samite was immediately withdrawn, and the waters closed over it. The moment that the weapon touched the young king's hand, a strange thrill seemed to pass through his whole being, and he felt within himself the strength of ten men. Curiously, he drew it from its scabbard and saw the blade flash in the sunlight so that he was almost blinded. Merlin, meanwhile, had been watching him with interest, and now he put a strange question to him. Which would you rather have, said he, the sword or the scabbard? Then Arthur, brave knight that he was, answered almost scornfully, what a question, Merlin! The sword, to be sure! It is the most wonderful thing I have ever seen. When I hold it in my hand, I feel that no enemy could ever again prevail against me. It is a wonderful weapon indeed, replied Merlin gravely. The name of it is Excalibur, which is to say, cut steel, and it is given to you whom men will call the White King, that you may fight and not to win glory for yourself, but to right the wrongs of the weak and the oppressed as you have promised, and that you may drive the heathen from the land. 
yes it is a wonderful sword but the scabbard is more wonderful still for while it is in your possession you can never be killed in battle and though you may be wounded your wounds will never bleed and you will lose no strength guard it well they were silent for a while as merlin rode back to shore and arthur stood lost in thought examining his treasure see said he at last on each side of the blade there is an inscription in a foreign tongue can you read them for me merlin the words are ancient hebrew was the reply one side says take me and the other side says cast me away then which ought i to do asked arthur puzzled take it and strike was the firm answer the time to cast it away will come but it is still far distant yes take the sword and strike with all your might now it happened that not long after his adventure arthur had an opportunity of testing the powers of this wonderful excalibur as he sat in his throne room one day in the castle at camelot two messengers arrived and were ushered into his presence we come said they from king leodogran of cameliard who pays tribute to you as he paid it to your royal father uther pendragon our king is aged and his knights too are well advanced in years so that they can no longer fight as in the days of old and now our kingdom is threatened by one ryance king of north wales for he has sent a message to our master saying that he has in preparation a mantle whose only trimming shall be the beards of kings eleven of these beards he has already but he needs one more and he incidentally demands that our good master send him his otherwise he says he will come and take it along with the head to which it belongs therefore have we come to you o young white king of the noble heart and mighty arm because you have made it known that you ever stand ready to render aid to the weak and the oppressed at these words arthur's heart leapt within him so glad was he of this opportunity of using excalibur in another's cause then he looked about among his knights and saw the fire of his own enthusiasm leap into the eyes of first one and then another the next moment the whole room presented the appearance of a forest of glittering swords for every weapon had been drawn from its scabbard and was being pointed upward as a sign that its owner was ready to follow his liege lord into battle while a cry arose from all as from one man the quest sir king in an incredibly short time the army was on the march northward through the deep snows for it was winter nevertheless it so happened that by merlin's aid it reached cameliard even before the return of the messengers from leodogran had sent strangely unwearied by the journey it arrived at the gate of the city one evening when the sun was sinking in the west and found as was but natural in time of war that all was tightly closed ride straight on said merlin as if there were no obstacle in your way and you will find no difficulty and so it was for when arthur's horse came abreast the gates swung wide and the whole army passed through and started on its way to the castle where leodogran was holding a council of war the young king's intentions were so good that he had scarcely realized what the effect of such an entrance into the town would be upon the people 
Now, however, he saw them come trooping from their homes to stand in the streets, silent with amazement and pale with fear, while every roof was crowded with terrified women and children, even to the battlements of the palace itself, where some of the ladies of the court, having heard a rumor of strange happenings, had climbed and were looking down upon the invading host. It was at this moment that Arthur chanced to raise his eyes, and what he saw was a vision that never faded for him through all the days of his life. This was the face of a girl, the glory of whose golden hair was lighted by the setting sun so that it appeared to the young man like the halo of a saint. "'Who is that, Merlin?' he asked breathlessly. "'That,' replied the wise one, whose gaze did not even have to follow Arthur's to learn of whom he spoke, "'that is the Princess Guinevere, the only daughter of Leodogran, and cherished by him as the apple of his eye.' The young man said no more, but at that moment he made a mighty resolve to fight in the cause of the old king as he had never fought before, and he suddenly felt his arm strengthened as it had not been even by that first touch of Excalibur. He, Merlin, and a few of the chief nobles now passed into the council chamber, where the news of their sudden and mysterious arrival had created even more terror than their march through the streets. It was Arthur's plan to keep his identity a secret until after the battle, and this was an easy matter, for Leodogran could not imagine it possible that aid could have reached him from Camelot so soon, but it proved a harder matter to make the old king feel that he could trust these strangers. No one could ever look long into Arthur's face, however, without coming to believe in his truth and sincerity, so before the council closed, it was arranged that Leodogran, while waiting the return of his messengers, should accept the help of these strange visitors. The next morning, therefore, the two armies were on the march toward the plain just outside the city walls where Ryans, himself a man twice the size of ordinary men, was encamped with his giant knights. Merlin bore before his sovereign the mystic standard with the golden dragon that had belonged to Uther Pendragon, but which, now that it was Arthur's ensign, was beginning to show more wonderful qualities than ever. For, as the battle waxed hotter and hotter, it seemed that the dragon was spouting fire from his nostrils, so that the young king's position was easily distinguished by the anxious spectators on the city walls, and especially by the ladies on the battlements of the castle, among whom was the Princess Guinevere. All day long the battle raged, but wherever Arthur appeared with the strange standard, the enemies, giants though they were, either fled terror-stricken or fell lifeless under the mighty strokes of Excalibur, until gradually they were driven farther and farther from the walls, and it seemed that the victory was well-nigh in sight. Then a terrible thing happened. Leodogran, exhausted by the struggle, but feeling secure in his young champion's strength, had withdrawn himself to a quieter part of the field. This, however, was the very opportunity for which Ryans had been waiting. Leaving Arthur, therefore, still in the thick of the fight, he and a dozen or more of his knights wheeled their horses about and bore down upon the old king with the intention of dragging him off a prisoner. 
to the princess from her point of vantage on the tower it seemed that her father was now lost indeed and she had almost fainted in despair when she saw the young stranger stop fighting disentangle himself from the fray and speed across the plain there he charged with such a mighty shock against the giants that were bearing leodogran away that they dropped their prisoner and fled for their lives a moment later the whole army of ryans was in confused retreat with arthur and his knights in pursuit thus the day was won for king leodogran and that evening at the feast that was made for the victors the beautiful princess to show her gratitude served the valiant young stranger with her own fair hands and thanked him simply and modestly for saving her father's life that night if ever in his life arthur had expected to sleep soundly but he found to his surprise that even the weariness of his body was not sufficient to overcome this strange new agitation of his heart at dawn therefore he arose and sought the counsel of merlin merlin said he trying to pretend that it was a matter of state that had been disturbing his rest my lords have long advised me to take a wife what have you to say on this subject is there any damsel in particular that you have in mind asked the wise man endeavouring to look very sober yes said arthur the princess guinevere is the fairest maiden in all the world as any man with eyes can see if i might win her for my bride i should be the happiest man on earth and if i were to counsel you not to try to win her would that make any difference asked merlin quietly not the slightest was the firm reply then why are you asking my advice and the wise one smiled i do not ask it merlin admitted arthur this is a matter that i settle for myself but i do beseech you to go to king leodogran for me and ask for his daughter's hand i may have to make your identity known said merlin that you have my permission to do if necessary arthur agreed a little later in the day therefore when king leodogran and his ministers were assembled in the throne room merlin came before them and made a formal request for the hand of the princess in the name of his young master when he had finished speaking a deep silence fell upon the room presently the old king began to speak your master said he is a brave knight and a valiant gentleman and to the care of such a one i would gladly give the jewel of my court moreover my debt of gratitude to him is greater than i can ever repay and yet and yet and yet what inquired merlin my child is the daughter of a long line of kings therefore it is not fitting that i should bestow her hand upon one whose rank is not equal to her own and yet and yet then the wise man smiled have you any idea my lord said he who the young knight is who fought so valiantly in your cause no replied leodogran he seemed unwilling to tell me so by the laws of courtesy i was bound to ask no questions then sir king let me inform you and merlin's voice rang out clear and strong that he is arthur himself your liege lord who by my aid was able to reach you even before the return of your own messengers and you are merlin cried the old king in joy you are welcome in my court o wise man as welcome as the news that you bring me 
for what greater happiness could come to me in my old age than that arthur the son of my friend and overlord uther pendragon should seek my daughter in marriage you and he are welcome indeed the following day therefore when arthur and his army set out on their homeward journey he and the princess were already betrothed and it was all arranged that when the winter snows had melted making it fit for her to travel he would send for her that they might be married in his own capital city of camelot so arthur returned to his own land and fought many a brave battle with his strong arm and excalibur while he waited impatiently for the first signs of spring at last however the sun began to take on a new warmth the snow gradually disappeared from hillside and plain and a tender emerald haze silently enveloped the landscape then arthur called to his side a young knight lately come to his court launcelot of the lake by name between whom and the king there existed the tenderest bond of friendship based upon mutual admiration launcelot said he i am a king the servant of my people therefore i cannot as other men leave my post of duty to seek my bride go then for me my most trusted friend take merlin with you lest you should need his aid and bring me the beautiful princess guinevere so the embassy set through the soft april green and returned when the woods were white with may southward toward the city of camelot at launcelot's side rode guinevere the flower of the may seated on a cream-white mule and wearing a gown of grass-green silk fastened with a golden clasp when they neared the mystic city upon whose gates arthur's wars were prophetically rendered the young king himself rode out to meet his bride and the next day they were married in the church at camelot the holy archbishop himself pronouncing the words that bound them together for life as they turned from the altar and passed homeward through the streets of the city which the little children had strewn with flowers they were met by a band of white-garbed knights who blew upon golden trumpets and joyfully sang blow trumpet for the world is white with may blow trumpet the long night hath rolled away blow through the living world let the king reign shall rome or heathen rule in arthur's realm flash brand and lance fall battle-axe on helm fall battle-axe and flash brand let the king reign strike for the king and live his knights have heard that god hath told the king a secret word fall battle-axe and flash brand let the king reign blow trumpet he will lift us from the dust blow trumpet live the strength and die the lust clang battle-axe and clash brand let the king reign strike for the king and die and if thou diest the king is king and ever wills the highest clang battle-axe and clash brand let the king reign blow for our son is mighty in his may blow for our son is mightier day by day clang battle-axe and clash brand let the king reign the king will follow christ and we the king in whom high god hath breathed a secret thing fall battle-axe and flash brand let the king reign such were the glories of arthur's wedding day yet these were not all there remained yet a greater wonder as the young king with his bride entered the chamber where the banquet was spread a strange sight met his eyes in the centre of the room stood an immense round table of rare workmanship 
"'What is that, Merlin?' he inquired, surprised. "'And why is it here?' "'That,' replied the wise man, "'is a mystic table that I myself made many years ago for your father, Uther Pendragon. It comes to you now as a wedding gift from King Leodogran, in whose keeping it has been since Uther's death. About it, as you see, are places for a hundred and fifty knights. Your father-in-law, as part of his gift, has sent you one hundred. The other fifty seats, or sieges, you are to fill yourself with young men of your own age, as they prove themselves worthy. But remember that none must ever take his place until his name appears of its own accord upon the siege that he is to occupy. An odd hush fell upon the company, while each man present was secretly wondering if he would be among the chosen ones. Then the archbishop stepped forward and raised his arms over the table in blessing. As his words died away, a strange thing happened. Upon one siege after another, as if a mysterious flame were leaping from place to place, golden letters spelling the names of knights began to appear, until there were but twenty-two unclaimed places. In reverent silence the men thus called took their seats, and while they yet waited, one more siege began to glow with a mysterious writing. This time, however, instead of a name, there appeared these words. This is the Siege Perilous in which no man may sit until the coming of the best knight in all the world. Then Arthur, reading this inscription, turned to Merlin in surprise. Surely, said he, this is the place of Launcelot, for where could we ever find a knight that is better than he? But the wise man shook his head sadly, saying, Let him never dare to take that place, lest he be consumed by fire from heaven. The knight who is to sit there will surely come some day, but that time is still far distant. With these knights you must now found the Order of the Round Table, whose members are to be mystically chosen from among the flower of men, and whose vows shall be the noblest that ever knights took upon them. Then each of the chosen ones came forward, and kneeling before the throne where Arthur sat with his beautiful young queen beside him, laid his hand in his sovereigns, and took the vow of the order. To reverence the king as if he were, their conscience and their conscience as their king, to break the heathen and uphold the Christ, to ride abroad redressing human wrongs, to speak no slander, no, nor listen to it, to honor his word as if his gods, to lead sweet lives in purest chastity, to love one maiden only, cleave to her, and worship her by years of noble deeds, until they won her. So the sun went down in golden glory upon Arthur's wedding day. End of Tale 3